Today, we're going to talk about a place that we're all going to go. You know how you plan for your vacations? You don't want to miss the must-do things, and you do all this planning for everything in your life, and we're all going someplace that we're not talking about. We're not thinking about. It's, shh, don't go there. We are all going to die, and today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our own death. We're going to talk about the death of others and don't drop it and say, no, this is going to be a negative show. This is a downer. Stay with us because it doesn't have to be that. There's so much in this. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Possibilities. I'm your host, Cheryl Sitz, and we try and take a heart-centered, soul-centered dive into some really relevant topics in your life. And today is no exception. Let me put on my glasses to introduce today's guest to you. And by the way, you can join us for the video of this on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Cheryl Sitz, or you can always pick up the audios on my website at journeyofpossibilities.com or most of your favorite podcast players have us as well now. Just search for Exploring Possibilities. I am so appreciative to Inner Traditions and Bear Publishing for some of the people that I get to meet through them. And joining us today is Anne-Marie Keppel. She is a death doula. She's a community death care educator, a nursing assistant, a Reiki master teacher, there's the spiritual, a meditation teacher, a life cycle celebrant, a trained home funeral guide, and founder of a nonprofit called Village Death Care. She's got a lot to say about death. She's also an advisor to a virtual reality therapeutics company that emulates the benefits of psychedelic assisted therapy to help those working through end of life. And don't let me miss talking about that one today. So she's been published nationally and she joins us today from her home in Vermont. And you can connect with her anytime online at her website, annemariekeppel.com. Hi, Anne-Marie. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. This is a taboo subject for most people. I don't know why we would all be headed someplace that we don't let ourselves think about or talk about, but you've probably got some insight to that after dedicating your life to this topic. It's true, it's true. But I find that when people, you know, some people you bring up death and they run for the hills. They don't wanna talk about it all. But then there are those that stick around and they start listening and then all of a sudden they want to engage and then they have a lot to say and then they realize that there's a freedom in that and then sometimes you can't get them to stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that because you know it's like if we're raised to not talk about the elephant in the room and then somebody gives us permission and has wisdom to share with us about that and encourages us to go there. It is very freeing. Just like your book. I don't want to go any further without holding this up and you see the little tags we're going to talk about today. Death nesting, a heart-centered practice of a death do the heart-centered practice of a death doula. What a refreshing read. You really touch on a lot of topics. And Prior to this, my partner in this podcast and life, Mario Rosales uh, at MarioRosales.net, he, um, he and I studied Osho's work on death and dying, and it was really a deep dive into the spiritual aspects of that. And you cover kind of everything else and some of that. So it's really not, I want to recommend both. So I'm going to tag that book in the description of this podcast, as well as your book, because there's a you know, it kind of showed me it's probably the greatest spiritual experience we ever have. He, yeah. it, the teachings talk about, you know, this is where our spirit is crossing over into what we've always wondered about. And this is a chance for us to do a life review. And there, there's so much that happens here. It's a deeply spiritual experience. And because of physical pain, we may numb out to that some, but I'm not sure I want to miss that to that extent. And that may touch later on your, uh, your uh, psychedelic assisted therapies and things to help us get centered so we can have the experience of dying without necessarily all the pain. Yeah. 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 I, I really like everything you just brought up. You know, there's, um, I don't know who said it, but that if we could, or where this idea came from, but if that we could, if we could die twice, you know, once <laughs> to practice it, it's going to go see what's going to come up on our deathbed. And then if we could come back to living again, we would live so much more beautifully, fully engaged and lovingly and with gratitude. 
but we only get this one chance. We only get this one in this lifetime. We only get this one opportunity um, to practice our death, which is the final act. That's, that's it. And so, yeah. And, you know, I think also though, that there are so many opportunities for beautiful spiritual experiences in our everyday life all the time. But if you're not aware of it, if you're not, um, you know, if you don't have that awe, (laughs) then you'll miss all of it. And then you don't get all of those realizations until you are actively dying. So part of the work that I do is trying to get people to engage in these conversations and really go there in their mind and really touch upon all of the privileges that we have in our working, healthy bodies and our everyday lives so that these moments are precious, are really spiritually profound times throughout our entire life. Absolutely. And that really guides me to take a pause here just for a moment and invite you, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening on a podcast platform, drop into your heart and really be with us today especially if this is uncomfortable for you. Just breathe through it, do some deep breath work and and stay with us or pause it and come back, but don't forget to come back because I have a feeling what we say here today is gonna be stuff that can really help you not just prepare for where we're all going, but like you said so powerfully, prepare to live today as a spiritual experience, every day as the spiritual gift it is. And not just we get so caught up in, oh, these are hard times on earth and whatever. We're missing it, aren't we? we're missing you know if you're not carefully paying attention you need you need the contrast a lot of times so people who have had a near-death experience or somebody who has had um a really scary diagnosis and then has recovered from it or not even necessarily the diagnosis has awakened them to a new way of being a new appreciation for being able to get up and walk to the bathroom on your own for being able to hold a glass and and drink. Um, Just these really simple things to to express your wishes verbally and have them understood by somebody. These are, you know, our vocal cords, the vibrations that are happening, those are miracles. (laughs) They are, they really are. are. You know, and, and even, you know, I just laughed very freely right now. Even, even that, because there are times, of course, when you don't feel like you can laugh very naturally, that um, you almost don't remember how to laugh if you're grieving. So it's the contrast that really brings about the, the awakened preciousness of all of this. Yes, so true. And I didn't even go to that. We probably have listeners today and viewers today who are grieving. And so if you're in that process, this can help with that too. Honestly, I've been, I've helped, I've had the pleasure of assisting a couple of people through their dying process, not to the extent of a death doula, but I've had that perspective. And then of course, taken a look at my own mortality and life planning and death planning. And you touch on things in your book that I had not even considered. So I think that this is an excellent read for anyone to just begin to have a glance at what all is involved and what you might want to be aware of, whether you're helping someone else or yourself, and your perspective that we need to bring this back to a village situation and not something that's so commercialized. You know, our culture has taken it where the the dying go to the hospital, and then when they die there, they go to the funeral home. And often, as you so eloquently put in your book, they're not even invited to their own funeral. We do celebrations of life that don't even have the ashes or the body anymore. So it's almost like we've just put death out of our view. And that's not beneficial to us. Explain a little about the impact that that you see that having. Yeah, you know, I, um, one thing I want to acknowledge is that you said that if, if you've helped people who have died or who you know in the process of their dying then you are a death doula then you have been a death doula and I want to emphasize that because there seems to be and this kind of ties into um to everything that you just brought up because 
we tend to think that certain people have certain skills and that um, they should really stick to their skills and have a specific training and they're the experts when when dying and death happens to everybody and so why would that just be tending to, to the dying why would that just be an exclusive group of people that are specifically trained to do such a thing so i like to emphasize that everybody and anybody can be a death doula and you don't need to have taken a certificate course in order to do that so there are plenty of people who um out of necessity um you know they have to care for their spouse their child their grandparents they have no choice they have to care for them or somebody who um volunteers to care for them they may have not have had any formal training but they've done the work they've been there and that is absolutely um just beautiful valid work it doesn't mean that anything was was missed or or wrong um and so i think that the 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 danger of of separating you know the by the way, when when this first started, when we started sending our dying to the hospital um, in, in masses, when the, the great hospital boom started happening in the United States around the 1920s or so, um, there was the miraculous antibiotics that came into play. So people really did send their dying loved ones to the hospital and miracles did happen. Antibiotics were miraculous. Yes. So a lot of them ended up living and coming home. And so then everybody started sending their sick and dying and, and hoping to extend their loved one's life. So until that became the norm. And then as you're saying, the funeral homes would scoop them up. So what has happened now is that people have a complete disconnect from their dying and their dead and the elderly because they're in residential care you know they're not really a part of the active community they're in their own secluded community and so the deaths that we're exposed to are the more violent ones the ones that make us feel terrible the you know in movies and video games and um, headline news, which is never good. Um, the really scary deaths, the mass shootings and deaths of refugees. And so there are these terrible deaths that we're exposed to and end up being part of the conversation. And so people don't really have a lot of ideas about how death can be gentle, how death can be welcome how death can be a really good friend that comes and scoops you up when you're done here on earth. And so without the careful, slow tending that was done in the home for your loved one, it hasn't been modeled um, in recent generations. And so we've lost that. And I, I think our society is, is taking the toll from that. Um, you know, what are, what are we doing here? What is, if, if our end is in our head, something that is terrible and, and, um, you know, tragic, it doesn't give much meaning to what it is that we're doing in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so well put. And even we even use euthanasia for our pets like oh they're starting to suffer and i do it i've done it i actually believed and experienced something similar on a human level with uh, with end-of-life hospice and medication it's like we want to medicate the pain away and all this reading your book reading osho's book really reflecting on the spiritual experience that happens during death and what's happening with the body we are so pain averse in our culture we don't want our pets to suffer we don't want our bodies to suffer and when you talk about and you there's no judgment in your book i want people to know you explore what happens to the physical body what happens in many aspects of death without judging it because you have to do that as a doula right you have to be for the person whatever their belief structure and that's beautiful but you know when i look at our pain aversion what else is it costing us in the experience of dying to have to be so medicated that nothing hurts that that maybe there is a pain that i need to allow in in my dying 
to allow the experience to be fully what it is I came to experience because it's only going to happen once, as you say. And if I'm so worried about the pain, then I'm going to be whacked out of my head and I'm going to miss being present for what's actually happening. And I'm not judging anyone's opinions. I'm just putting this out here as food for conversation so we can explore and maybe reconsider our opinions a little bit. Yeah, there was a, there's, it was some president along, wait a minute, no, no, Woody Allen. I think Woody Allen, and I'm going to misquote him, but it's something along the lines of, um, no, I'm I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there for it. When it <laughs> something like that. Yes. <laughs> it, it cracks me up. Um, and, you know, there, I don't know if you know Peggy Rometto. She's from Texas. She's a psychic. And she just said something the other day um, that pain is just information. Yes. And I thought that was so good. I'm like, yes, pain is just information. So, and it, it's very difficult. You know, I'm not in pain right now. So I'm able to contemplate this. Somebody who is in pain would have a much, you know, different experience and different opinion about this. Um, but right now, while I'm feeling okay to contemplate pain as being information, then you can look at it from different angles. You can um, see where it's coming from, what it might be caused from, what's the story behind it, and try and work with it rather than trying to instantly suppress it. Um, so, and yeah, no judgment on how anybody wants to do anything at all because we're just doing the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with the information that we have grown up with, Yes, that are in, you know ingrained in us and our belief system, and it's just it's very unique. Everybody's experience is really unique. I can see that. Yeah, absolutely. And free will is our divine birthright gift. We all have the free will to make these choices. And so, getting hung up in judgment, and you really explore that a lot in 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 discomforts of the caregivers, in some of the things that you've seen around families disagreeing, and how that is when there's someone going through end of life, and just finding a place in ourselves where we can respect that they are having their their experience that their free will has chosen for themselves. And we have no right to change their mind about that. But but when there's a family of people with completely different perspectives, that can be really tricky. I mean, death, death is a time that seems to bring out all the differences as well as the love and the fear and the... <laughs> you never know. So most of the time people are not showing up as their best selves in a highly charged emotional situation most of the time whatever fears they have or insecurities they're going to play out and perhaps loudly and publicly and um it, and sometimes people do they really humble this themselves and soften and they come together even families that are usually at each other's throats you never know and my favorite is when the you know the the outcast of the family the one who's always doing something wrong the one who's everybody's like oh well you know that's so and so that they're the ones who step up and they're the ones who play the role like okay i've been there I see this grief. I see this sorrow. I'm not going to try and cheer them up. I'm going to meet them where they are. I love that. And then the family gets to see this opportunity like, oh, they've been living with so much pain that they know how to meet somebody in their pain. Yes. I, I love those, those situations where you're like, wow, okay. I don't pretend to know anything. <laughs> You raise such a good point, and this plays out in other platforms besides just death. If we can start to recognize that people are meeting us with who they really are, based on their experiences, their teachings, their stuff, a lot of them don't have the bandwidth to get it at a level that maybe you get it. Or maybe you're the one that doesn't have the bandwidth to get it at the level that someone else is getting it at. And we, if we could just open up to that and start to learn from each other instead of somebody's got to be right, somebody's got to be wrong. And, 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 and I mean, that's just such a waste. And for the poor person that is trying to transition out of this world to have to listen to that or be exposed to that you paint a beautiful picture throughout this book of how to make 
what you call the death nest. And you even talk about they're having their own internal death nest that they're going through. And then you're creating the external death nest, what's allowed in, what's not allowed in. You, you have several holistic recommendations throughout the book, even if that's in a hospital, how you can modify that so it works in that setting. So if, if for nothing else, I think this is a great handbook for how to make someone as comfortable as possible and what to keep in mind while they're going through it. And, and, and it's going to trigger you about your own as well, right? You want to share a couple of things on here that are kind of the biggies that you tend to share over and over again because people are curious about it? Sure. Well, no matter what, you have to always, you always start with yourself. <laughs> so something really common that comes up is somebody will say, hey, Anne-Marie, I am hoping that you can talk to my parents because they are not completing their end of life paperwork. Mm. And we need to know, you know, what's going to happen with the property, what's going to happen with these things. We don't even know um, how they, you know, what kind of disposition they want, if they want to be buried, if they want to be cremated, and they just won't talk about it. Mm. And I say, I hear you. And have you done any of that work? <laughs> Because it's very different if you're asking somebody to engage in a conversation and these contemplations, which are really uncomfortable and scary, it ends up coming from a di very different place if you have done that work yourself. And so then you sit down with an advanced directive paperwork, which can be issued, you know, through your state, your doctor, you can talk to them. Um, and you're asked um, you know, if you'd like a feeding tube and all of a sudden you think, what, wait a minute, what do you mean? <laughs> and then they're saying, well, who's your emergency contact and who's your backup emergency contact. And then you automatically think, well, wait a minute, what happened to my first choice for my emergency contact? And then your brain starts going, oh, what if we're yes. in the car together? Yes. Or, you know, so there are all of these things that come up and you, you start to feel nauseous and you're sweating and you're scared and and then that's the gold. Yes. <laughs> so then you work with that and you're kind to yourself and you're gentle and you drink lots of water and you work through it. And it's not something that you necessarily do in an hour and wrap up. It might sit on your kitchen table for weeks, for months, and then you come back to it again and you forget about it. And, and so once you've gone through that process yourself, then if you can go to your parents or your loved one and say, hey, I've been through the ringer trying to do some of this work. Um, would you like to do it with me? Yes. Can I help or, you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so so um, always making sure that any of this work, this is why it's so good to do it in advance, obviously, um, when you're in a, a fairly calm headspace to, to work with some of these contemplations. Um, to always start with yourself first. And then, you know, when you do that, and you can go a step further, and I do talk about it in the book, where you imagine your own dying time. And mm -hmm. what would you, where would you like to be, first of all? I'm talking ideal, because nobody gets to pick their, their place and their situation. But unless they do, but that's another conversation. Right. <laughs> to pick... <laughs> To pick, um, you know, if you are in a room and where is that room and it, do you want the shades open or closed? Do you want music playing? Do you want people, certain people to be there? Are there certain people that you don't want there? Um, and so you've made note of these things and you go through them in your mind and you write them down on paper. So you get a feel for what kind of death nest you would want for yourself. And once you have done that and you feel how specific it can be, you can understand then how somebody else's death nest would be very specific to them. And it doesn't always, rarely does it look like yours, but sometimes it can look and feel like something that you would not want at all. <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe... Um, you know, as a, a hospice volunteer, I worked with a family who, um, the gentleman died in front of the TV set, the TV was on and the infomercials were just blasting. <laughs> and 
I, I this was one of my newer um, outings as a, as a hospice volunteer. And I was watching this and I think I even asked, I said, you know, should we put the TV off or put on like a nature show, like try to run it through my own. Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't hurt to ask, but she said, oh no, you know, this is, this is how he relaxes. And I thought, who am I to turn off the TV or to change the channel? That could have jarred him out of his, his beautiful dying process. You know, he was zoning out and and that brought a certain amount of comfort to him. So it's all very unique. Yeah, it would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of the areas that I really enjoyed diving into in your book was, I guess, the part that I was most curious about that really nobody talks about. And that's what happens to the sen- through the senses and with the body as we're preparing to separate from our body and this world. And, you know, that's just something we don't talk about. And and of course, it's different for everybody, depending on if something happens to them or not. But the one big takeaway that I got from all of that was something we should be doing with the living every day. And that's treat them every day like they're brand new. Because when you're coming in to work with these people, what felt good yesterday may not feel good today. And it's, it's, it's an ever-changing process. And we do that when we're alive. We get into this thing where we treat the people we see all the time, like, oh, I know who you are. I saw you yesterday. And I don't really know who you are today or what you're going through. So that's kind of a big shift for me from this that you've probably picked up just working with so many people who were shifting noticeably from day to day. You want to speak a little about that? Yeah. So, you know, just common courtesy um is just to assume that they they don't know you and that they they don't know what's going on so you know it nurse assistants are trained to do this but i think you know they get so busy that it doesn't always follow through with but you know when they knock on the on the door and they'll say you know hello mr jones it gives an alert to the person that somebody's entering their room and is going to help them or whatever tend to them um and then say it's Anne marie and so they don't have to guess at who you are and because that can feel um really terrible to somebody so they they may know they should know you but they don't remember you or a lot of times people try to cover it up and they're like oh i know you and they're just saying that because they actually don't remember and but they know that they should it's very challenging um so and things can change moment to moment and day by day which is why so as a death doula i'll um go into a um work with an individual or a family and really build a team around them a team of people that are going to be able to care for the loved one the person who's dying and if the death doula is doing their work well, in my opinion, I'm a community death care advocate, they're really in the background and they support the team of people and let them do the work. And the death doula supports them emotionally, gives them resources, shows them how to do things. But the, the work, the daily work and the hands-on is really done whenever possible by the family and friends and community. That's their healing. That's their kinesthetic learning that's their emotional growth that is is transpiring and they're not going to get that if i'm the one who's doing everything and i just say stay back everybody i can handle this um but one of the challenges is that i could train the whole team of people how to do transfers from moving a person from you know the bed to the chair and the next day they they have no strength left and so they're no longer able to be transferred from the bed to the chair so transfers are out and then all of a sudden there's a whole new shift with um you know how are they going to go to the bathroom how are they going to alleviate themselves so a challenge is that you could train a whole team to do this and this is the new routine and everybody's on the same page and then the next day it's completely wiped off and you have a new routine and you have so it's challenging um to 
to have a team of people that are um, able to shift like that, um, you know, especially if they are older individuals themselves and they like routine and then all of a sudden the routine like is just non-existent and it just keeps shifting over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be. And again, it seems like everything that we would be for someone else and to support someone else is going to bring up all our own stuff. Oh, I don't handle this well. How can I how can I be present for that? But that is the beauty of having a team of people because hopefully that can bring the family closer together and not have them nipping at each other's, you know, heels about this and that. Yeah. Mhm. I got the sense throughout reading your book that you would really, and you also touched on this already, you would really like to see us bring death back home in in many ways to our family, to our community, stop being so death averse, pain averse, and actually support each other through that process. And yet, not only do we live in a culture that doesn't talk about death or want to think about death, but our structure is such that we support birth, not death. We give time off. We support the new moms, but we don't support helping each other help our families transition. So how does that start to shift? I mean, if I did want to do more for my parents and I don't get paid time off, if I don't get the support from my employer or my family, how do we begin to shift that? I'm sure you can speak to that through your nonprofit and all the advocacy that you've done for this. So please do. Yeah, um, I I was just thinking that uh, grief is very bad for the economy. <laughs> mourning, mourning is very bad. Everything comes to a standstill. People want to go to sleep. You know, that's where they yes want to retreat to to a place where they're not being productive and they're not spending money. It's not in a capitalist society's best interest to encourage. Um, time away to grieve um and so we don't it's it's very stifled and um it's really sad (laughs) it's really damaging um and i think it's going to take generations to heal that generations and unless something major happens that forces us as an entire I don't know. I can't even, I can't even think that big, but it's, it's going to take a long time to heal this. So um, people are, it does feel like people are waking up to the amount of, of um, unprocessed grief that is rampant. Um, And of course the pandemic has amplified all of that, all of that unprocessed grief just from the pandemic alone. Um, And we're talking, you know, not just from death itself, but from job and society and um, loss of friendships and divorces and moves and the environment. And, you know, it just compounds all of these things that as empathic beings, which I think we all are, but people just shut it off right and left. That that people are, as they're starting to be like, well, actually, I do have a feeling about that, you know? I think it's growing, but I think it's going to take generations to really heal. Have you seen a company that does well in supporting their employees? And not that I'm here to plug companies, but have you seen this done well somewhere that you're like, wow, I wish people could see this model because this would really help on a larger scale? Yes, I have. And um, I would have to get permission from the person to actually say it. But one of the people that I was working with, um, he told me that his, he was getting, his boss said, um, I'm going to, you know, go ahead, take the, take the day off from work, you know, go see your mom, take the rest of the week if you want to. And then, um, just in total support of caring for, this man's mother and then when she died he said take as much time as you want um gave him pay leave for the funeral was a call to check in on him a week later like this is the the owner of the company that was doing all of this checking in and i was talking to this gentleman i was like i've never even heard of this before and he said yeah he's pretty spectacular Mm. um so it does exist but that is the first and only time that i have heard of it um, and it's a Vermont company. I will say that. Okay. 
I know I was very fortunate where I was employed when each of my parents died and, and, and my father had done no preparatory work. He was the one that was going to live forever. Right. And it was sudden and there was no living will. And he was on a ventilator for a month and we were in ICU in and out at visiting. It was a very grueling process. My employer was so patient with me, so supportive through the funeral when he did die and all the hours at ICU. And then again, when I went through losing my mother, but they were hospital based deaths where there was visitation at best. Um, so it was difficult. It was really difficult and kind of absent. And as you say, so we did the, the, the grieving, the, the time that you could visit with the body and then the funeral. But now how do people get closure without being able to see their, their loved one deceased in any form that, that has been difficult for me with a couple of deaths where I just got no closure. How, how do you think that's affecting us? You know, when I um, work with different groups of people, I'll ask them, how many of you have seen a dead body? And it's always less than half of the group that I'm working with. Wow. And it is, that that gives me like a lot of the answers. Uh, sometimes it's just like a couple of people in one group. And these are people who have come to, you know, a training, a specific training about it. <laughs> and the, those that have seen a dead body are most of the time, the majority of them are people who work in healthcare, people who are EMTs, people who work in residential care, people who, so they are seeing it as part of their job, not as part of their community. So, um, that's shocking to me. I'm really in shock right here that it's that low. I grew up start in the generation asking, where we did. Yeah, start asking people. But you'll see, even with your generation, so even a little bit more, because some of these, like a lot of these people are older too, not just the younger ones. Like some of, sometimes I'm looking at these people and I'm like, you're 75 years old. How have you not seen a dead body? But if you don't go to the funeral yeah. or if it's only a celebration of life, or if everybody in your family and all your friends have been cremated, then no, you never saw a, a dead body. So cremation is increasing now. Um, and well, we're running out of spaces in yes. cemeteries. Um, so there are some other cool things that are coming about like human composting, but um, the cremation is, is on the forefront. And so if the body had gone from the hospital to the funeral home to the crematory, then you would not ever see it. Um, I find that when I go to funerals, I see very few, even when there is a body there, whether or not there is, I see very few children at any of them. And it's, you know, and I'll ask the parents why, why, you know, of my friends, not of any clients. Right. right. Um, why didn't you bring so-and-so and they're like oh you know I thought about it and everybody always thinks about it but they don't they don't know if it feels right they don't know if it's appropriate and so I try to say just in general not to any one specific person ever and make it awkward bring the kids to the funerals bring the children to the funerals let them look around and see people cry let them see that um somebody is crying one minute and then they're laughing an hour later that that it's okay to be both because then the person might be crying again later and then they're like oh okay so it is sad and the sadness doesn't go away but it doesn't mean that something else is not funny and it just starts to you know make these circuits in their brain and it's better if it's not a loved one to start off with you know um like to have some distance from it because the things that we can't avoid are the sudden tragic deaths, you know, and, and those are the ones that um, no matter how much you have contemplated mortality or, or seen a body or been introduced to something, those are still horribly painful. Yes. And um, nothing is, is going to soften that. What can happen though is at least there is um, a vocabulary, at least they have, have um, learned some words, learned that um, it's, it's okay to talk about it. 
Um, and again, that sadness comes in cycles. It comes and it goes and it comes and goes and it can come and go in one moment. It can come out together in a burst. It can um, retreat and, and not come out for weeks and months and years and then come out again. So um, all of that is, is largely absent in, in our culture, in our mod podge of the culture of the United States right now. And we do look around like, well, what's the normal? How should I be feeling right now? We, we, we kind of, when we're uncomfortable with all these conflicting feelings that we feel often at the same moment, like you said, we look around for what's normal. And if we've never seen enough variety to realize that there is no normal, we're just overwhelmed with trying to be accepted and fit in and go on and we don't know how. And I agree with you. I, I think it needs to start young, but I've heard so many people say, I'm not taking them to the funeral because they don't know how to handle it. I don't know how to explain it. They won't. And there is no handbook, right? There's just, just do the best we can, but hiding from reality has never really benefited us in any good way. I've been working through trauma for like, years now that stuff that I tried to hide from and run away from it doesn't go away so be in the discomfort of it be in the awkwardness of it and know that if you're doing the best you can and coming from your heart I feel like you can't get it wrong I would look back and do things differently in a few situations including the end of life care I did because when you know better you do better but at that time I did the best I knew and I was supportive and we just have to give ourselves a break and stay in the heart and stay in the moments right even the ones that we just want to run from yes yeah and you know as as parents you know we want to we want to have the answers and we want to provide comfort and we want to protect and death is one of those things where you can't protect them from it and you don't have the answers and you don't exactly <laughs> and so then you're like okay i'm at a total loss just eliminate the situation <laughs> yeah um and when that's incredibly important say i i don't know the answer to this and you know you don't have to give extra information a lot of times kids and we're talking like children, we've got a really long span of what you would consider to be a child, like lots of ages in between. Sometimes, you know, some people would consider a 20 year old to be a child, or are we talking about a two year old? Um, when shortening it a little bit to single digits and to um, uh, younger teens, you can let them ask questions. So you could open it by saying, do you have any questions? And then that will give you an idea of where they are, of where their mind went. Because all of us, even as adults, um, we to start to make things up um, because we don't have the answers and our brain doesn't like that. They're like, you you know, does not compute. <laughs> so you want to quickly come up with an answer. And when it comes to death and the dying process, when you don't have any answers, you tend to default to things that really were beliefs from your childhood your initial experiences with, with death, you kind of start to, to play with. And you're like, well, that can't be right. And that because, you know, you saw Wiley Coyote who fell off the cliff a hundred thousand times <laughs> came back. Right. Um, and so you just, you try to figure things out. And then when you're defaulting to some old notions and the situation is in front of you and you're like, well, these don't apply. Like it, it, it's a, a confusion and a, you know, it kind of compounds um, on it, on itself. So. Yeah. It's hard. It is. It is. And we don't have the answers and, and that's not always easy to say, I don't know, but you know, I think it's important to, to kind of come to grips with that as a culture. We don't have all the answers, no matter how much we try and plan and prepare and tick off all the boxes. So no, no surprises guess what it doesn't work right it's a good idea to plan and then be ready to be in the moment i want to give you an opportunity as we come toward the end of the interview here to share kind of where do you hope that we're going as as individuals and as a society and what would you like us to hear today that might help us to move in that direction um, around this topic that's so important to your life and to our lives 
That's a good question. What do I hope? Um, you know, from listening to this conversation, you might think that I hope that everybody has a loved one who dies in their home. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I realize that that is absolutely not possible, nor is that appropriate in every situation. Um, and not everybody has means of being able to be cared for in their own home. And sometimes people get way better care in a hospital than they ever would in their own home. So I don't want to glorify a home death um, by any means. So I, I, I think that what I really hope for is um, some kind of universal um, education around the dying process that includes the dead and um, awakening some sense of ceremony around both of those things so that um, it, it's really truly incorporated into <clears throat> a celebration of life because as we have it right now, the celebration of life taking place at the funeral, I always feel like, I'm like, just let them be dead. Just let them be dead. Let them have a funeral where people are sad and because someone has died. Don't just make it a celebration of, of life. And I'm, I'm generalizing here, but you know, the celebration of life is a very good concept, but to incorporate that into actually into the dying process. So I feel like those are things that have to, and of course, into just life in general, then through the dying process into the dead. But those are things that have to be initiated so very early in life. Um, so, I, you know, in our regular educational system, um, just an overhaul. And that way it can't be, death can't be commodified. And it's not a specialty profession. And it's not exclusive to certain groups of people that, no, 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 it's very normal. And this is what happens in communities. And this is what communities do. And this is what happens to us. And I think just um, removing the show and the drama from it, and just like the, the tangible weighted, um, sorrowful ceremony that it is, and just embracing that. So as someone that was not planning to probably be invited to my own funeral or celebration of life, because I plan to be cremated, what might that look like if I'm not doing, because I am a very upbeat person, and I would like people to celebrate my life, but I also want them to feel comfortable to cry and to know that don't run from your sadness, feel it, feel it fully and love each other in that. So what might that look like? What do you visualize as a, as a possibility there? Fantastic. What I would suggest is having two ceremonies, one that happens immediately after where people just cry and lose it and they're sad and then have the celebration of life later because there's something really important that happens when you can mourn and be sad in a community and you look at each other and you see each other ugly cry and you pass around the tissues and you somebody walks away and somebody else goes after them to go to go care for them and these are the kinds of tender moments that really bring humans together and we have completely further eliminated that when we only have a celebration of life, when we only celebrate the life of the person a year later or when it's convenient. Death is supposed to stop things, it's supposed to stop things in its track. People are supposed to, you know, grasp their heart and, and their air is supposed to like not flow for a moment because you're just in shock. That's healthy that's beautiful and so i would suggest having two <laughs> i am covered in goosebumps that's that's the dialogue i think we open the microphones to hear today we don't see each other vulnerable anymore we don't even know how to be vulnerable ourselves anymore unless we're completely alone at home in a room or in a bath or and it it brings us together to show our soft undersides. It's, it's so important to, and to be able to feel that as somebody that had to block my tears for a long time, because, you know, 
girls in a masculine workplace don't cry girls in a you know and and it's taken me a long time to find my tears again so i i love that you said that thank you that's exactly perfect for us to hear well now we just traded places because i just got goosebumps from what you just said. <laughs> awesome then this show's going just like it should <laughs> Thank you again. The book, Death Nesting, gotta read it. It's an easy read. Well, it's not an easy read. It's it's not a thick book, but it's not an easy read. But it is a heart-centered journey that you deserve to take with yourself. Because even if you pick this up to help mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or whoever, it's gonna take you into your own journey in a way that is so rich and beneficial. Anne Marie, do you have a parting thought you'd like to leave us with today? Oh, a parting thought. Um, yes, if you were to just for, um, you know, just for 20 minutes, just sit in, in silence and see if you can tune in with all of the working systems of your body and watch where your thoughts go and where your mind goes and see if you can pay attention to your inhale and your exhale of your breath and how you can wiggle your fingers and you can stand up when you want to and just uh, feel into that that miraculousness that's what i would suggest and that's celebrating life in a way that does prepare us to understand it's not forever that's beautiful talk about a present moment experience thank you for that your website is annemariekeppel.com. Great book. I look forward to more from you. I think you're raising a, an important topic with a beautiful open heart, and we couldn't ask for any more. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us today. Wow, you stuck through to the end. That's good for you because I know this brought something up for you. It couldn't not, right? We'd love your comments and we'll get back to you. So please feel free to drop a comment below the video or message us or whatever. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next time on Exploring Possibilities.